Hello, you're very welcome again to Open Arms Online as we continue our series titled Baggage. And today, our subject matter is one that affects everybody, certainly in this nation, but I believe right across the world. And it's the subject of guilt and shame, that baggage that we carry. I've asked Grace Sullivan, and she has prepared a piece titled The Great Exchange. So sit back and listen to Grace. I had walked past that shop many times. Flickers of curiosity had been quenched by apathy, worry, or distraction. But today, for some reason, I stopped. I looked at the sign there in daring letters. It said, The Great Exchange. My eyes traveled down to a smaller handwritten note underneath. It said, I want your junk. Bring the worst that you have in exchange I will give you my life. It was such a strange concept. I had heard of the man who ran this shop inside. Some people said he was crazy. Some said he was an imposter. Some said that he didn't even exist, that he was a myth. They said that he had holes in his hands and scars on his body. Whoever he was, he was surely an enigma. Maybe he was dangerous. Why did he want this junk anyway? I mean, could it really be true? It sounded too good to be true. There must be some sort of catch. If I had learned anything in life, it's that you can't trust anyone. Walking away, I dismissed the mystery pawn man from my mind. But in the days that followed, I just couldn't get that sign out of my head. I felt restless, distracted. The burdens that I carried daily seemed even more heavy than usual. I couldn't deny them and fill my mind with other thoughts as was my usual practice. Somehow they weighed heavier upon me and seemed even uglier and more repulsive. Waking up one morning, I wondered, what really is the point to my life? What is it all about? Maybe I should just go in there and call his bluff. Maybe I should see what all the fuss is about. Finding a suitable box in my storeroom, I filled it. Loneliness, emptiness, inadequacy. There, I thought, it doesn't get much worse than this. And I started on my way to that old pawn shop. Pausing for a minute at the door, the heavy contents of my box woke me up from my stupor and I pushed it open. I entered to the ringing of a bell. To my surprise, I found myself in a small room that was filled from the floor to the ceiling full of boxes. There was a queue of people inside of that room. There were also some people who were littered around the room, some of them sitting and some of them standing. I joined the end of the queue. I noticed that everyone there, like myself, were carrying boxes. The ones on the floor were clutching tightly to their boxes. I noticed a boy to my right, sitting on the floor. He was holding his box so tightly that his knuckles were were white and he was rocking back and forth. I managed to catch the label on his box. It read, bitterness. It didn't look like he wanted to let go of his box. Why was he there, I wondered. Startled, I noticed a girl in the shadows in the corner to my left. She looked suspiciously out of the gloom and she looked like she was ready to swipe at anyone who came near at her. The label of her box was shame. 
my focus returned to the queue ahead of me. The man at the front of the line cried, no, and stumbled out of the shop. He was lugging a massive suitcase behind him. As he lugged it over the door threshold, I managed to see the label on it. It read, unforgiveness. To my surprise, the line was moving quickly and suddenly I was at the front of the queue. And there he was. The man with the hole in, holes in his hands was kneeling in front of me. He was not like anyone I had ever seen before. There was a calm, a movability about him. I felt certain in that moment that nothing ever frightened or surprised him. His eyes, they were so deep. They seemed to see straight through me and they felt so old. It was as if they had seen everything that ever was. It was unnerving looking into those eyes. But yet, strangely, I felt like this man saw me in a way that no one ever had before. And then he spoke. Have you come with your junk? Yes, I responded suspiciously, holding tighter in onto my box. Suddenly, a panic rose in my throat. There was no point in giving my junk away. And giving it to him, wasn't I losing my identity? Who would I be without my junk? It was burdensome, ugly and heavy, but yet it was all I knew. It was me. And how could I trust this man? What could he possibly give me in exchange for my junk? I want to take your junk, he said. His eyes looked at the labels on my box. In exchange for your loneliness, emptiness and inadequacy, I will give you purpose. I will give you hope and I will give you fullness of life. That's too good to be true, I, I thought to myself. And anyway, I can't afford it. My junk didn't mer merit that and I didn't have any money. As if reading my mind, he said, it's a free exchange. All that I'm asking is that you give me your junk in totality. The items that I'm giving you won't work if you hold on to your junk. I looked hungrily at the items behind him on the shelf and read some of the labels, mission, acceptance, peace, joy, were some of them. The, the, that's very kind of you, sir, I stuttered, but, 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 but I can't afford it. Let me go and earn a few more savings. Maybe in a few years I could earn the hope and maybe eventually the purpose and possibly even the fullness of life. There's something else I should have mentioned. The man seemed unmoved by my idea. You can't buy these items. Even if you had all the money in the world, you could never afford them. But how can you afford them? The words were out of my mouth before I could stop them. He was holding out his hand to me. I looked. There was indeed a hole in his hands. In fact, there were scars on his arm. This calm, immovable man had suffered great pain. I realized then that he actually wanted me to give him my box. He actually wanted it. He wanted my junk. Almost outside of myself, I found myself unwrapping my grip from the box and slowly stepping towards his outstretched arm. He was looking into my eyes, unwavering, steadfast. I paid for it with my life. At that moment, I started sobbing. 
It was just too good to be true. Losing my burdens to this unnervingly calm and kind yet resolute man was already such a relief. I felt as if I had been carrying this heavy rucksack of rocks and suddenly someone had loosened the straps. And suddenly it was gone. My box had disappeared. I don't know where it went and suddenly I didn't care. Something was bubbling up inside of me and tickling my throat. I realized then that it was laughter. The man with the holes in his hands put his hands on my head. My items don't come in a box, he said. They will grow inside of you. This is just the beginning. I realized then that he was smiling. It was the most wonderful smile I had ever seen. It was as if a light came on in that shop. I don't quite remember leaving that shop. It was as if I was floating on air. But in the days that followed and as I reflected on my experience, I remembered something else he had said. He said that he wanted other people to tell me about my experience at the shop, that the great exchange was real. I guess he had heard that there were a lot of myths and things that just weren't true about him out there. And he had, tell, he had tasked me with dispelling the lies. I suppose that people would believe me because I could tell them about something that I had given up and something I had gained. One thing is sure, I will never forget my first time in that shop. Since then, I have realized that there is other junk I have been harboring that he is eager to take and there is an endless supply of good things that he wants to give me in exchange. I have met a few other people who have been through the great exchange. They are all hopelessly devoted to the man with the holes in his hands. I'm still working on convincing other people to join me. I never saw myself in the advertising field, but I guess that was part of the purpose package that he gave me. I think the saddest thing about visiting that shop is seeing the people who don't want to let go of their junk. The man with the holes in his hands never seems to lose patience with them. I still haven't figured out why he wants my junk, but at this point, I can only be grateful and make it my life's goal to tell other people the good news. So thank you, Grace. You know, so many of us have deal with this issue of, of, of guilt, and then we deal with the issue of, of shame, and they're, they're so intertwined and together, and you, you don't know where, where does guilt end and, and, and shame begin. So let's discover about how these two, two things interact within us. You know, in the dictionary, guilt, it says, the fact or state of having committed an offense, crime, violation, or wrongdoing especially against moral or penal law, is titled culpability. The second part of that is a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, wrong, etc., whether real or imagined. And this is so important. If we feel guilty, I would say, therefore, we are guilty. So it's not about the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sentenced and proved. It's that feeling of guilt that really gets us. And then shame. Shame, the noun is embarrassment, humiliation, mortification, I'm mortified, loss of face, shamefacedness, disgrace, scandal, discredit, contempt, smear, degradation, disrepute, reproach, derision, dishonor. And there are times in our lives when we have felt 
some or perhaps all of those together. And these are what shame-faced belief uh, are, are based on. The fundamental belief underlying shame is, I'm unlovable, not worthy of connection and connecting with another human being. Usually internalized shame manifests one of the following belief or part of a belief system. I'm stupid. I'm unattractive. I'm a failure. I'm a bad person. I'm a fraud or a phony. I'm selfish. I'm not enough. And I'm not enough for my career. I'm not enough for me. I'm not enough for my partner. I'm not en- just not enough. I hate myself. I don't matter. I'm defective or inadequate. Some people say, I shouldn't have been born. Others say, I'm unlovable. And, and I want to tell you, there are heavy bags that we carry. And, and when we become Christians, we can continue to carry that heavy baggage. But Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Guilt and shame is a self-imposed prison that we hold ourselves in. We hold the key to that lock. We come along, we put ourselves in the prison, and we turn the key and lock ourselves in. No one has put us in. We have put there ourselves. And our Father God, who loves us unconditionally, He wants to set us free. I've come that you might have freedom, that you might have liberty. That's what this is about. What was God's original plan when we go all the way back to Genesis and Adam and Eve? Genesis 2.25. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That word again. And this is so important. We think of, of naked. Well, they had no clothes. Well, hey, that's not a big deal, especially if you've got perfect weather. But their nakedness had really little to do with clothing. Their nakedness was they were exposed to one another and to God and they felt no shame. They had no hidden sin. They had no hidden thoughts. Everything was exposed, and they felt no shame. That is called heaven. That's the condition of perfection in the presence of God Himself. Jesus came to Calvary to set us free from this guilt and shame. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, so Christ has set us free. Christ has, has taken us out of the prison, and we have put ourselves back in. So the baggage of, of guilt and shame, it's for freedom that He has set us free. But there are things that, that we don't believe. There are things that we come along, and we keep putting ourselves back in there. And I just want to look at, at three short things. Number one is painful regrets. The great apostle Paul was not always a follower of Jesus. In modern terms, you could consider him to be a, a similar leader to Al-Qaeda. He was a terrorist to Christians, and he had hundreds of them imprisoned and some executed for their faith. Acts 7.54 says, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, 
the witness laid their clothes at a young man named Saul. Saul is Paul who wrote perhaps most of the epistles in the New Testament. And you can imagine that Paul, when he came to know Christ, he should have been filled with guilt. He was killing, in a sense, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. But we read it later on in Romans 8, 1 to 2, it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And again, we have been set free. We're not under the old law. We're under this new law of grace and freedom and liberty. And, you know, we have so many examples in Scriptures of people who, who walked with guilt and shame, but then they were cleansed and qualified to be cleansed and free by their Savior. How about the Samaritan woman that we see at the well? She encountered Jesus. She had five husbands and was living with a man. She went to draw water in the heat of the day when all the other women were absent. Do you think she was feeling guilt and shame? But then she encountered Jesus. And she had this encounter with Jesus in such a manner that she went back publicly into the village and she called everybody to come and see Jesus who is the Savior of the world. Perhaps there's people listening to my voice right now and you come from broken marriages. Perhaps you have had kids outside of marriage. And you know that great song that we sang here a couple of weeks ago, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And perhaps one of the most disturbing images of guilt and shame is the woman who was caught in adultery. So let's read that account. John 8, 1 to 5. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So imagine, if you will, going back to Ireland in the 50s, the 60s, and indeed the 70s. Small town attitude, controlled by the religious. A large crowd are gathered around. Your neighbors, your friends, perhaps even some members of your family. And then these religious zealots drag you before the crowd and tell everybody publicly, loudly, that they caught you committing adultery. Can you imagine you would want the ground to open up and swallow you? Can, can you imagine this lady with her head down and her shoulders down and she wanting just to sink into the ground? And of course, what did they want? They wanted her to be stoned to death. That's what they desired too. And then the crowd are waiting and they're looking for the response of this Jesus. John 8, 6 says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. But what a great question. What a great question for us today. Is any of us without sin? Which one? Have we got the right to throw a stone or an accusation at another human being? And then comes the the response from the great teacher of the law, indeed the Pharisees themselves. John 8 again says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Again, imagine the scene. Everyone is gathered. They expected the stoning. All these religious people who controlled the lives of the entire community, all the men who would point a finger, all of these who would judge and accuse, all of these who rose up such feelings as, as guilt and shame, disgrace, scandal, discredit, contempt, smear, degradation, reproach, derision, dishonor, all of the stuff that you feel and sense because of this religious atmosphere that we were brought up in. And the crowd were probably thinking, yes, someone must die. Throw the stones. Throw the stone because we might get some relief. And it's interesting that the older ones went first. They couldn't throw the stone because they had sinned more. And they know that they could not throw the stone. They knew their own sin. As always, we are all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then Jesus spoke. The elders are gone. The Pharisees are gone. He straightened up and he asked her. Imagine he's, he's looking into her face. This woman who, who felt shame, guilt, disgrace. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. See, you've got to hear those words. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. You know, I, I don't know all of your stories, but I know the story of humanity. I know my story. I know that guilt and shame that clings to us. And I know that guilt and shame that goes all the way back sometimes to our childhood, bad decisions that we've made or bad decisions that other people have made on our behalf. And, and, and that thing called guilt and shame it can stink, stick to you and cling to you. You, you. you think everybody else sees it in you. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So no matter what your circumstances, the grace of God is available today. The love of God is available today. The forgiveness of God is available today. Jesus is the man with the the hole in his hands. He's the man who wants to make that great exchange. He wants to take your guilt. He wants to take your shame. And he wants to give you liberty and acceptance 
and love and joy and peace and a sound mind. That's what he has for you. So the first thing is painful regrets. The second thing is when you hold on to shame and guilt, and we actually hold on to it ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. Last week, we talked about renewing our mind, holding every thought captive. We have to choose to believe the truth, not the lie. We have a decision to make. And it can be difficult. It is a de- it's not an easy decision to make. Sometimes guilt and shame become part of who we are, part of how we think. They become familiar. Who will I be if, if I'm not under the cosh of, of guilt and shame? What, what would I look like? This unknown, I don't know what life would be like without it. We would say, well, I've lived most of my life like this. This would be crazy to change. Would I be empty? Would I have to take more responsibility? Who, who would I be? What would I be? What would I become? And I would say to you today, please do not allow fear to hold you back from freedom. Please do not allow that to happen. What, what you hold on to, this familiarity. When you hand this over, what do you accept? You get freedom. You get liberty. You get peace and joy in everything that Jesus has for you. Is, is, is there a risk involved? There is, of course, yes. Is, is, are you going to feel normal? After? No, you're not. You're going to be a new creation, a new person, filled with joy and peace and purpose. But the enemy will want to remind you. The enemy will will say to you, don't risk it. Don't take the chance. But the man with the holes in his hands, he wants to take your guilt and take your shame and exchange it for his presence, his love, his acceptance, his cleansing, and his forgiveness. And the third thing is when you don't accept God has forgiven you and taken your sin. You don't accept that. You know, every sin must be paid for. And we choose. You and I, we we choose who's going to pay. Either Jesus will pay in full or I will pay myself. Wow. Today, Jesus giving you an opportunity again of making up your mind. Make your choice. Do you want to pay? Or will you allow Jesus to pay? You know, one of the greatest challenges is to accept the free gift of salvation. Forgiveness, eternal life. Because deep down we know we don't deserve it. Romans eleven six and it says, It is by grace. Then it is no longer by works. If it were... Grace would no longer be grace. Ephesians 2 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. This grace was available when we committed our lives to Jesus. And it's still available right here, right now. 
So let me continue and ask the question, what happens when you make this exchange? What, what goes on? And again, just three things. Number one, it changes how you relate to people. Adam and Eve had perfect love, but shame and guilt cause blame to enter right into paradise. This was passed on to their kids. It was passed on. So much so that their boy killed one of their boys. A brother killed a brother. The consequences of baggage is that it destroys relationships. But Philippians 2, 1 to 4 says, If you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I want to tell you, when you are a free man and a free woman, it's much easier to look at the interests of other people. The second thing is it changes how you relate to God. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Guys, when you see what he's done, you'll fall in love with him again and again and again. When you deal with the baggage that's within your heart, that's within your mind, it's so much easier and easier to fix our eyes on the prize whose name is Jesus. And thirdly, it changes how you are used by God. Psalm 18.35 You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. What a great word. You stoop down to make me great. God uses people who are free. Now, He uses everybody, but especially those who are free. He makes us great, capable of ministering and loving and tending to the needs of other people. Free people can help others be free. The blind cannot lead the blind, only those who can see. And I want to tell you, the more freer and loving and kind and compassionate you are, the more you can be to others. So, what is the solution? It says, confess your sin to God. Accept His forgiveness from the bottom of your heart and surrender everything into His hands and leave it there. And leave it there. I told you it wasn't easy. Romans 9.33, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never, will never be put to shame. Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So now is the moment. Now we're all, all of this is leading up to this moment. How? How? So I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult. 
I'm going to ask you to do something that we resist. This is what the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me tell you a story to prepare our ending. Julia Muir, who's my teacher in biblical psychology, tells the story of a client that she once had several years ago. There was a young man who got married and went on the trip of a lifetime. They wanted to visit the real Africa, out in the bush, out in the wilds, out where all the waterholes were. And they prepared very well, and they were going to camp along the waterholes, and they always sought out the wisdom of locals, where to camp, which was safe, what was not safe, and how long to stay in all of that. Well, one day, the young bride got in to swim in this waterhole, and she was attacked by a crocodile. And unfortunately, she died. And the husband was devastated, as you can imagine. He spent many, many years going from counselor to counselor, but eventually he came across my tutor called Judy Muir. And he told her the story about how he just felt so, so guilty. All the other counselors, psychiatrists, they couldn't give him no relief except to try and persuade him that it wasn't his fault. But it never dealt with the issue. He always had a massive sense of guilt that weighed him down and almost destroyed his life. He, he could not get on with the rest of his life. He could not leave his past behind. He he's felt so, so guilty. And Julia spoke these words. She said, if you feel guilty, I can help you with your guilt. And he said, you know, you're the very first person who ever told me that. Everybody else was trying to persuade me I wasn't guilty. They gave me reasons why it wasn't my fault. They told me that this false guilt should not cause this level of pain and brokenness and despair. But Julia responded, and she said, Ah, yes, but none of those counselors had the solution for your guilt. Julia led this man to the cross where he asked Jesus to forgive him for letting his life, his wife, down, for not protecting her, and for falling short of the husband that he ought to have been. Do you know something? He walked out of Julie's office a free man in the first time for many, many, many years. This allowed him to start getting on with the rest of his life with freedom and liberty and fond memories of his wife, but without carrying that baggage of guilt on him. And you know, I can persuade you all day long that it wasn't your fault, that it was the state, the institution, your environment, the abuser, or just bad circumstances. But none of that will remove your sense or your feeling of guilt and shame. Or perhaps even when, when you know 100% that you're guilty, when you know, you know that was my fault, I did it. I knew what I was doing. I stepped into it. We still have a solution. There is a solution 
we go to the cross. Again, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. So right here, right now, the man with the holes in his hand, his arms are extended, and he wants to do this great exchange with you right now. He wants to take those boxes or those bags that contain your guilt and your shame. You can't pay him. You can't buy it because he has paid for it already with his own life. So make a decision. Make a decision now, right here, right now. Make a decision. Say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Make it very specific. What, what do you want him to forgive you for? What's that thing that's holding and keeps bringing up that guilt or bringing up that shame? And, and, and if you want to, what's always good is if you want to close your eyes with me, it doesn't matter if you're sitting on your couch, if you're sitting in your car, just so long as you're not driving, just sitting, just close your eyes. Extend your hands. Imagine this guilt and this shame in the palm of your hand. Imagine that you're standing before the man with the holes in his hands and say, Lord, I give you my guilt. I give you my shame. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your cleansing. I accept your love. In Jesus' name. And just open your eyes with me. And what I want you to do is take your arms back and take a step back. Take a step back and allow Jesus to take that guilt and to take that shame. You know, if you're leaving here today and if you have feelings and emotions that accuse you, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Here in our church, Open Arms, we have a number of people who can sip tea with you, chat with you. We've got pastoral care. We've got professional counseling. Or, or someone just to talk to on the phone. Again, I would encourage you to talk to somebody. If you want to get in touch with us, again, go to openarms.ie forward slash connect and, and, and just write out the details in your card. I'd love to talk to somebody. I'd like to have a chat with somebody. And give us either your email or your phone number and we will be in touch with you this week. But if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, if you've never asked him to truly forgive you and have a relationship with Him. Let me read this scripture, Romans 10. It says that if, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If that's you today, and you want to invite Jesus into your heart, just say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I have baggage in my life. Some are very painful, and I am trapped. I ask you to forgive me. Take my guilt, 
my shame and set me free. I declare the lordship of Jesus over my life, past, present, and future. I believe you died on the cross for my freedom and that you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I accept your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, if you have said that prayer for the very first time, go to that same Connect card and allow us the privilege of helping you take the next step. God bless you. Have a great day.